there. We're the West Slap Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowsbo. Uh, well, guys, um, just a little context uh, for our Purdue preview, and that's who we're going to be talking about tonight. We're recording this the evening of July 30th. Um, you know, we just was announced that uh, SEC's changed. You know, they came out with their schedule. All the bit, uh, all the Power Five conferences are pretty much locked into their uh, conference-only schedules. Um, there's some chatter that the Big Ten will have a schedule next week. Um, hopefully, by the time you hear this, we'll know more about uh, who's going to be playing whom and when if the season actually does go off without a hitch. Which, you know, that that's for that's you know for another podcast. But uh, yeah, Purdue. We're going to talk about Purdue tonight. Um, this is a team that uh, under Jeff Brom has looked real fun, at least on offense, and their defense. Has been fun, kind of, I guess, to watch. Fun to play against? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, let's just say this. The transition is officially complete. The soul of the Kevin Wilson era Indiana Hoosiers has loaded its furniture into a U-Haul and trucked from Bloomington up to West Lafayette. There are a handful of... <laughs> that... that... I'm sorry. This offense is way better than that one was. <laughs> hey, they're going to need to be. <laughs> uh, there are a handful of truly god-awful defenses in the Big Ten. And several of them we've gone over, including Maryland, who, again, I you ain't going to see a worse one. But there's only one team in the conference that isn't even trying to play good defense, and that would be the Purdue Boilermakers. Technically, of course, this isn't true. If it was true, Purdue wouldn't have fired Nick Holt. Um, And as an aside, um, as long as we're talking about Nick Holt, and this will probably be the last time we will because he's gone now, um, we'll forever wonder what would have happened if Holt had waited to execute his insane all-in, like, nine-in-the-box-against-the-run experiment that he executed his first year at Purdue if we would have waited to do that until Purdue had actually assembled an offense under Jeff Brom, um, because that was one of those so insane that it kind of worked things. Um, but it only worked for one year, and then the bottom absolutely fell out. But if he'd waited until, let's say, 2020 to do that, uh, the single year that Purdue actually had a semi-competent defense might have coincided with Purdue having a really good offense, and Purdue might have really had something as a football team here. But alas, uh, that did not happen. Uh, Nick Holt is gone now because after his crazy experiment, that defense absolutely went through the floor where they are right now. So now in comes Bob Diaco, who is a hireable defensive coordinator because reasons? Uh, Diaco's resume is basically this. He was Manti Teo's defensive coordinator for two years, and he went to a national championship game in 2013 with Notre Dame. That de- year... that defense was ludicrous, though. It was so Here's good. the thing. Well, the I, guess, year... I guess they did have a 12th player in Linnea Kakua. The, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the... Oh, man. You stepped on... I'm pretty sure I have a Linnea Kakua joke coming later, so... Um, Sorry, buddy. The... 
Um, here's the thing, though. That was two years. And the year before those two years, he was D.C. at Cincinnati for a single year. And in that year, they fielded a top 50 defense. So it's that year, those two Manti Teo years, that is the entirety of his resume. Because immediately after 2013, he went to UConn. And what a time that was. So, I mean, bad judgment does not necessarily mean no longer a good defensive coordinator. Oh, oh, I beg to differ, my friend. (laughs) Because after that god-awful run at UConn, that train wreck. Oh, I forgot about this. He has been on this amazing run of completely undistinguished one-year stints at places that had mediocre to bad defenses while he was there you may remember his excellent work in the last year of the mike riley administration at nebraska (laughs) (laughs) or you might not um and again yes okay scuzz is right for those two years at notre dame when manti teo was there they had a sweet defense but that's his resume Even at Cincinnati, it was a top 50 defense. And then he went over to Notre Dame, okay? I'm sorry. He's the Troy McClure of defensive coordinators. I'm sorry. When people bring up the Rooney rule in the NFL, this is the kind of crap that they're talking about. This guy had his shot in 2013, 2014, okay? That was his shot. And then he went to UConn. Did nothing there, and since then has been totally undistinguished in multiple jobs. Okay, like there were better names here, there were better guys who could have been hired. Whatever, I digress. Purdue made their choice, like that's made it's again. They hired a guy who fielded an amazing defense, uh, seven years ago. Uh, the point is though that in the short term and most likely the long term, Tiago ain't saving this defense. He arrives at a team where the culture is firmly hammered into place, okay? Uh, Yes, four-star recruits come to this school. They come to play wide receiver and probably quarterback and probably running back, okay? Um, He's not going to be able to recruit impact defenders. And what he currently has is not going to get it done at all. Purdue was 12th in the Big Ten against the run and the pass last year, okay? And again... Maryland, as bad as they were, was better than Purdue against the run last year. Like, few teams were this bad in both categories. What's really funny about the recruiting statement um, that I just made earlier is that there's this massive exception relative to defensive recruits that proves the rule here. Um, And that exception is George Karlaftis. Because in his last year, Nick Holt was somehow able to sell this four-star defensive in-state end, uh, George Karlaftis, the number two player in Indiana, on coming to Purdue and playing right away. And this was fantastic for Purdue because Karlaftis, as a true freshman, immediately became Purdue's best defensive player. Like, it's not close. Um, And he's the real deal. And he had 17 tackles for loss and seven and a half sacks last year. But here's where that whole exception part comes in. Because behind him, again, this guy stepped on the field at Purdue, and he's their best defensive player by far as a true freshman. There's this massive lack of depth at Purdue, and that's what they're working with. And normally, 
when I make a statement in these previews about a team like no other player had more than a sack, usually what that actually means is like six to eight guys put up a single sack in limited playing time. They just didn't make any kind of notable contribution. With Purdue, it's different. Karlaftis and fellow end Derek Barnes had 15 total sacks combined. The rest of the team had 15 total sacks. The rest of the team had eight sacks combined. The rest of the team outside of those guys combined for eight sacks. In the secondary, Purdue intercepted uh, five Boilermakers intercepted a pass last year. 12 players on the team had 32 or more tackles. And remember, 11 of those guys have to start. So you factor in the fact that grad transfer Ben Holt, uh, who came in last year and played his last year with his dad for his dad's last year, um, he had twice as many tackles as any other player on the team last year. So to say this is a thin football team would be a severe understatement. Now, the irony is that if Ben Holt's dad hadn't been fired last year, Purdue might actually have been better off because Lorenzo Neal missed almost the whole year last year at defensive tackle, and he's been granted a fifth season. So if you pair him with Karlaftis and Barnes, you've kind of got the makings of a pretty decent defensive line. The problem is that Diaco wants to switch to a 3-4, which is going to absolutely screw with everything. Neil is obviously a prototype 3-4 nose tackle, but Karlaftis is not a 3-4 end, and neither is Barnes. Um, Barnes has already moved to linebacker, but Karlaftis is effectively going to be asked to continue to carry this team on a revamped 3-4 defensive line as a 3-4 end, even though he's only 265 pounds, and he's going to get doubled in the interior on every play because, again, He's by far the best player on Purdue's defense. So remember, Purdue loses Ben Holt, who had twice as many tackles as anybody else, and is thinner at linebacker than ever at a time when they are increasing the number of linebackers who will be on the field at any given time. So Barnes, remember, who was a defensive end, is actually moving to inside linebacker with the hope that this JUCO transfer they have coming in, Demarcus Mitchell, is going to blossom on the outside. So this is a hell of a lot of shifting, of a lot of deck chairs, of a severely under-talented defense. In the secondary, Diedrich Mackey and Corey Trice are adequate, but it's hard to know for sure because they're encouraged to take, you know, under Holt, who never really gave up his insane experiment. Um, These guys were encouraged to take massive risks that occasionally paid off and most of the time didn't pay off in a big way. So under Diaco, they presumably are going to play softer coverage, but that doesn't really matter because it's unclear exactly where any semblance of a pass rush is going to come from next year. So this is all a big way of saying that bringing in Diaco so he can screw with things and wait for it, tell Lene Kakua stories in the locker room. There it is. There it is. <laughs> is only going to accentuate the fact that Purdue is going to be awesome on offense. This guy's is going to tell you all about it and really crappy on defense. Um, when it comes to us, 
we are not going to have the problem moving the ball on this team in whatever way we see fit. And if you've been paying attention year by year, you know this has been true about Northwestern when we play Purdue. Um, this team is, again, they may not, Kevin Wilson may have never had this offense, but this team is going full on Kevin Wilson, Indiana track meet mode at this point. And again, to the point I made right off the top, you could argue that that's just the way that they want it. Uh, so, John, in, as you were talking about that switch to the defense, I Googled, I literally Googled, is Purdue switching to a 3-4? Because it seems crazy to me that they would switch to a 3-4, given their, their personnel right now, right? Right. And do you know what I got back? I got back an article from 2017 talking about how much the defensive line at Nebraska was struggling switching to Bob Diaco's 3-4, <laughs> but still managed to beat Purdue. <laughs> oh, Manti Teo ain't walking through that door, folks. You can't make this shit up. Wow. Uh, it's, it's I mean, it is. It's, they're really, it, it's rearranging the deck chairs unnecessarily. Um, and yeah, I mean, but again, the whole point is, Scuzz is about to tell you why a lot of this may not matter. Uh, well, Scuzz, um, we talked last year that Purdue's offense looked terrifying. Um, th- we actually saw David Bell on the field. We saw Rondell Moore on the field. We didn't really see them on the field together. They might be both healthy this year, and that strikes me as something terrifying. Buckle up. <laughs> that is the theme for the Purdue offensive preview. So last year they were 45th in S&P plus on offense. That's after being 17th the year prior in Jeff Brum's first year. Again, his first year as head coach, they were 17th in S&P plus. They lost a ton of talent going from 2018 to 2019. They also lost Elijah Sindelar after the first two games. Note the first two games in which he threw for 930 yards. Jack Plummer started most of the games as a true freshman. Then he got injured and gave way to Aiden O'Connell, a walk-on quarterback. Um, this is the moment where I complain that there's another game that Northwestern probably would have won if Andrew Marty had started at QB. Um, although I guess we should have won that game regardless. Yeah. Anyways. You know, looking, digging a little bit deeper into Purdue last year, you know, the injuries were, were disastrous. Rondell Moore uh, got injured after, the, after I think, the, the fourth game is when he got hurt. And to your point, Sam, we never saw him and David Bell really on the field at the same time. They also had a huge decline in their running game. They went from 4.4 yards per carry down to 2.9. They averaged less than 100 yards per game. I mean, once Moore got injured in that fourth game, they were down their top four runners from the prior year. They also had to replace three starters on the O-line, and they were ranked in the bottom 10 in most advanced categories. That was the big thing that Brom cited going into the season, as he said, our O-line is a problem and we're worried about it. The most important thing to know about Purdue last year, though, was that with all that turmoil at QB, the bad running game, and three new starters on offensive line, they again introduced to the world to a ridiculously talented wide receiver who went over 1,000 yards in his freshman year. And I am not talking about Rondell Moore. 
This is David Bell, who did everything we thought he would do coming into his to his freshman year. We were terrified about Purdue's potential in the passing game with those two guys. Once Sindelar and Moore got injured, it was much less worrisome. But Bell still gained over 1,000 yards, scored seven touchdowns, caught 86 passes. Ridiculously talented. Flip the page to 2020. Well, but the good the good thing is though, Scuzz, Bell was a target that Northwestern kind of went after really hard, and then we lost him to Purdue. But the good news is that couldn't possibly happen again. So. Nah, nah, that could never happen again. Um, we'll we'll get there. Um, <laughs> oh boy. So this year, right? Flip the page to 2020. The O line is much more solid. They boost their run game with a, with a really good recruit out of New York, uh, Tarek Murphy. The hope is that with four returning starters on the offensive line, uh, King Daru can put up much better stats than his last season. They they should they they have to be better in the running game. They were so horrific. I legitimately have no idea what happens at quarterback for Purdue, but this is where things get really crazy. Like this is the spot you would point to on Purdue's offense and be like, "Oh, David Blau left, and then they got bad, and then Elijah Cinderella got injured, and we don't know who's going to take over." Folks, it might not matter. Like, literally, it might not matter. Jack Plummer was 30 of 50 for 327 yards and two touchdowns at Iowa last year. He was also awesome against Minnesota. He threw for over 400 against Minnesota. He was uh, against Maryland. He was really good against Minnesota. Like, put up 250 yards and two TDs um, with, I think, 50% completion against Minnesota, like, in his second start. Like, that's pretty decent. He was only okay against Nebraska, and he was downright awful against Illinois, but but that was the game he got injured in. But here's the thing. If you get the Iowa-Maryland-Minnesota version of Plummer in 2020, that's 65% completion accuracy, 330 yards a game, and two TDs. Holy hell. Like, he could also regress and not recover well from injury. I guess he was still banged up in the spring, and you would get less from him, but it like that to me feels like the starting point. Alternatively, you could get the Northwestern, Wisconsin, Indiana version of Aiden O'Connell. Those are the three games that he basically started. That's only a slightly worse 62% completion, 320 yards, and two touchdowns per game performance. What is happening here? This is what I, this is what I want to talk about in a little bit, but yeah, go ahead. Je- this is Jeff Brom. And, right. and, and, and John, as you so eloquently put in our Nebraska preview podcast, Brom is actually doing at Purdue what everybody thinks Scott Frost should be doing at Nebraska. Yep. Yes. That's two, I'm just going to say it, that's two shitty quarterbacks. A, a middling three-star and a walk-on, both brand new to the team with the potential to outperform any one of Nate Stanley's three years as a starter at Iowa if they had played the whole season. That's crazy town. Hell, Austin Burton, the brother of Northwestern's own Veronica Burton, who's transferring in from UCLA, could show up this year totally un- untenured and be dynamite. Whoever it is, those stats that I just cited only include David Bell in the lineup. Multiply them by Rondell Moore, and oh my God. And not only Rondell Moore, nope. too. So, I mean, they do lose one key player, and that's tight end Bryson Hopkins. He was really money last year, 60 catches for 800 yards and seven touchdowns. Um, it leaves them without an established, like, large physical target. Uh, Moore is small. Bell is, like, normal-sized. 
but I documented th- last year three other young, talented guys coming to the ros- roster. Neither Mershon Rice nor TJ Sheffield actually played, but Milton Wright, who was their second-highest wide receiver recruit, he looked really decent, and he's probably going to be a starter this year. Two of their top recruits, like of their top four recruits this year, are again wide receivers, including Abdur Rahim Yassin. <sighs> uh, not Rahim, Rahman. Uh, Abdur Rahman Yassin, who uh, decommitted from Northwestern. This is an embarrassment of riches at wide receiver for a coach with a proven track record, regardless of his team's experience. That is terrifying. This offense is absolutely lethal and should give every defensive coordinator in the conference nightmares from day one. Cool. Um, <laughs> it's I so like by, by I the think... by the way, I absolutely effing love this, um, and like I love I. This it, it terrifies me because Purdue's gonna score fifty points on everyone, and um, but it's just so exciting, and I and I it, and I and I truly in my heart of hearts absolutely love it. Oh, I absolutely do too. And it's like like this team is gonna take losses, like awful losses, and like they're like second, third, or fourth most likely to beat Ohio State of any of these teams <laughs> because you could they're like if you're trying to draw up scenarios. Purdue can give you a scenario with anybody. They'll be like, well, it'll be like 60 to 55 and it'll just be, we'll have the ball last. And it's like, like that's legit. It's funny. Like Scuzz was talking about the, um, the stats with Plummer and the stats with O'Connell. And to that, I would add, we talked about this at length after the Purdue game, what we saw with our own eyes in that game. You saw a walk-on quarterback in O'Connell and a coach doing everything possible to help his quarterback succeed at a point in time where our quarterbacks were getting no help. And it was absolutely maddening. But that's what he does. I mean, like, he... And, and, and against a really good defense. That right. They, Ex- they were able to move the ball on effectively. Exactly. And Braun basically had this game plan that was like, we're going to let... You're going to get the ball to Bell. And we are going to move him around in so many different ways while keeping it simple to you that you are just going to be able to execute this offense as easily as possible. And just watching that and being like, there's no secret sauce that Aiden O'Connell has that like Aiden Smith doesn't have. Aiden O'Connell is a walk-on quarterback. Purdue is his best offer. And he was only playing because of a litany of injuries, like Scuzz said. And it, right, it's Braum. He's there's no head coach who's a better offensive coach in the Big Ten. Um, like that one's easy. Um, Kevin it's, Wilson it, as as is, an OC is, is in the conversation. Is there a head coach in the country who's a better offensive coach? I mean, he's he's he's, he's Leach yeah. maybe. Yeah, Brahms. I mean, he's incredible. And right. And to your point, the weapons. It's this wide receiver core is terrifying. And they go they, they go like eight deep. Yeah, and they're going to pile up points on on everybody. Like, they really are. the A lot of the best defenses in the conference, like Penn State, for example, Purdue can hit Penn State in a way no one else in the conference can hit Penn State. Um, they play to all Penn State's weaknesses. And it's so it's like one of those things where it's like their defense sucks. It's really bad. Um, and not only is it bad, to Scuzz's point, like, Bob Diaco's going to come in and work the worst kind of magic here, where at least for one year, they're almost certainly going to regress 
from this god awful position. Um, and you know, so they're they're literally going to be playing track meet football. And right, there's no team in the conference that's going to be more fun to watch than this team. Well, it's it's probably important to note, like like so when you've got a wide receiver core this good, right, with with this much talent that goes this deep, you know, an Ohio State can can match up to them man to man is probably going to still give up a little speed to, to Moore and Bell, but hopefully they can hang on for dear life. Any other team doesn't have that option. They don't have the talent to run with these guys. And so the only option they really have is to try to disguise coverage, trick quarterbacks, and bring pressure to force errant early throws. Everything Brom does is designed to counteract that because he goes really heavy into the RPO game He's super good at scheme. He's super good at designing a lot of different concepts that come from the same looks. He's confusing the defenses before they can confuse him. And that's like that's exactly what John's talking about. Moving guys around, setting setting up the quarterback for success for easy reads and easy pitch and catch to guys in space. And it's it's a, a absolute train wreck to try and cover. And when you supercharge it with the type of talent that he's recruited, it's literally unstoppable. Yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 I'm scared of Purdue. You know, <laughs> they're, they're terrifying. And again, they're the kind of team where it's, it's going to be very the, interesting to, to see where they end up in our schedule, right? Yeah, if, if, no, that that's that's kind of where I was going next. I mean, if but before we get there, they are a basketball school, so if you think about this, all of it makes sense. Yeah, that's right. Sure, they they will outscore the Purdue basketball team on several occasions. Um, I one thing one thing I will say right is, depending on exactly how they rejigger the schedule, right? There's the word that they want to go to divisional games, you know, right off the bat. Well, Purdue was playing Nebraska to start the season. Oh my god! And oh if, boy, if that doesn't get switched, Nebraska is like that's their worst nightmare. Purdue is Nebraska, but better in most ways. But Purdue uh, is Purdue is what Kirk Herbstreet thought Nebraska was last year. Yeah, right. And it's not like the fact that they're going at Nebraska is going to mean anything this year. So again, it's like I don't know if that's what's going to be kept. But yeah, I mean Purdue. Yeah, they're they're a terrifying team. I mean they're they will they will score points on us. Um, and, you know, I mean, when we get into our Northwestern preview down the road, we're going to get into just how crucial Greg Newsom and Cam Ruiz staying healthy is for us. But this is the rare team where it's like they can put more guys on the field than those two guys can cover. And it's like, even if they're heavy, um, I mean, I'm not to take anything away from J.R. Pace, but it's they're the kind of team that can go four wide on every play and neutralize the best things that Travis Willick does against the run and just be like, sorry, we're going to put a guy on you that is just you can't really cover. Um, and we're just going to have to cope with that and, and match them score for score on the other side of the ball. I mean, that's that's what everyone's going to be doing with Purdue. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's they are a terrifying team for that regard. Well, and it's here's what's crazy, though. It's not just we're going to put a guy out here that you can't cover. We're going to put two effing guys out here that you right. can't cover. And I mean, that's the crazy thing. Like if you think, even if you think about those awesome offense offenses at Ohio state, had they ever had two guys like this, two well, this back-to-back 1000 is... yard receiving years from, from 
dynamo freshman. And and the other thing too is if if Moore is recovered, which again we don't a hundred percent know, mm-hmm. but like if we assume that we as if this was say I don't know Illinois, we'd be like, well, this team sucks, but Rondell Moore's freaking amazing. <laughs> How are we gonna Hell deal yeah, with this? You know what I mean? And it's like he's he's that good. He was one of the the ten best players in the country two years ago. Yep. And if he gets back to that point, and then you have Bell, and then you have Abdurrahman Yassin, like I and and everything. I mean, I, again, like it could be that despite how bad their defense is, people are shorting this team because um, if they just end up being Oregon out there, you know, you know, Chip Kelly era Oregon, um, they can certainly, you know. There's always this chance that they could run away from every team in the West, you know. But injuries crushed them last year, and with their awful defense, they fell right through the floor. So, you know, if, if but if they stay healthy and with the additional amount of talent coming in this year, they yeah they 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 could be anywhere. I mean, they could be as low as you know you know your third worst team in the conference, but they could win it. Like there's that much flux here but there's that much talent on the offense so let me ask a question i mean just kind of thinking about what would be the best game plan to beat them and it strikes me that if you can control the ball if you can own time of possession and slow the game down tire their defense out i mean they'll get theirs on offense and you know they'll probably score quickly but if their defense is on the field for 35 40 minutes a game That'll be problematic for them. Well, it's it's interesting what John said earlier about how Penn State is such a poor matchup for for Purdue, and it's and it's spot on because Penn State's defense, at least by the last two year standards, was this hyper aggressive try to get to the QB defense, right? And and last year they didn't get there as much, and they got absolutely torched on the back end. Purdue is going to eat that up all day long. A Northwestern that is going to keep everything in front of them and make make Purdue go on a 12 play, you know, 75 yard drive to score and, you know, hopes to be able to ratchet things down and get a, make a play in the red zone or something like that, force a field goal, et cetera. Right. Like that's the strategy that you have to play defensively. And then yes, you have to do that other thing on the other side with your offense and control the clock and keep those guys on the sideline and make them get cold. Like, any minute that Bell and Moore are not on the field is a good minute for your football team. Right. Yeah, it's true. And, and I mean, we've historically have been able to run the ball very effectively against Purdue. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's that's absolutely there. It's there for most of the other teams in the conference, too. Um, there are a lot of teams who run the ball well, and this team will suck against the run. Um, and, you know, but again, it's it's just wild. Like, Purdue is... Like, I feel very confident about them against Nebraska, Rutgers, Illinois. Indiana's a rivalry game. That's going to be fascinating. Um, Indiana's defense is certainly better. They're both bad. Indiana's is much less bad, but Purdue's defense, I mean, it's a great game, and it's a rivalry game. Um, And then, you know, and that probably will get kept later in the year, I would imagine. I don't know. It's a non-divisional game. But um, there are so many teams. I mean, even a team like a Michigan Michigan can exert their will on the ground against Purdue. Absolutely. In theory, control the ball. And on the other side, Purdue really is probably going to be able to get at them. So, yeah, I mean, this, they're, again, I, 
you you want to look and say on the strength of the offense they can like do something crazy like run the table they just can't like their defense is is just not good enough but they are going to put the fear of god into a michigan into a wisconsin there's a good chance that the game that's added to their schedule would either be ohio state or penn state if there's a 10th added they put the fear of god into either of those teams um so yeah they're absolutely fascinating team to watch there are going to be fewer fun teams to watch and less fun teams to play than this team well let's go ahead and leave it there for purdue for tonight um head to our website westlotpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions find us on facebook twitter and instagram and email your questions to westlotpirates at gmail.com tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on northwestern athletics and look for us in the west side of ryan field playing the red pirate flag because we give no quarter especially the fourth for John Lacombe and Eric Skazbaugh, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.